certainly had uh, a very rich and full uh, meal of service uh, focusing on thanksgiving, the giving of thanks and how powerful that is. And I felt led this afternoon to just have a short thought to, uh, to uh, add to that found in the book of Philippians chapter 4. I was visiting my father yesterday and I know this was one of his favorite passages that he liked to meditate on, a passage so rich and so practical for each of us. Let's, uh, let's read through it together and maybe we'll, as we read through it, we can meditate on what, uh, how it, the, the Spirit uh, would lay it on, on our hearts. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. This is being written to the book of, to the church in Philippi by Paul who is in prison. So that's the context. As we read these verses of tremendous joy and contentment and power, let's remind ourselves that he's in a dark cell and starving and uh, being deprived of a little bit more freedom than we are these days. And yet he's talking to his beloved. He speaks in the first chapter about how he thanks God on every remembrance, praying for them in every prayer of his. That's how close they were. I don't know if there's anyone I can say I mention with joy in every single prayer of mine. He loved them. And his desire is that they would not be moved, that they would be able to stand securely in the Lord. I beseech Yodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So in the middle of this deep theological treatise, you know, about... Christ descending from heaven and our challenge to go up and to be like him. He's got this very personal insertion. Speaking to two sisters in the Lord. Not only sisters, but these are sisters that were um, specially recognized as fellow laborers. They, they were servants of God. They produced fruit. They did things for God. Very... Um, uh, commendably and yet they seem to be in some sort of conflict Paul doesn't get into details of the nature of that conflict but you know we're all subject to conflict but sometimes the the fairer sex can do it in a more subtle way they're 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 uh, good at uh, perhaps being indirect with their conflict but it's it's conflict nonetheless, everyone knows it, and it, it, it undermines the health of the church. And sometimes we need help resolving conflict. It's, he, he beseeches them directly, that, and his appeal to them is um, not that they would give in, but they would have 
the same mind in the Lord. So when we have a conflict, and you know, this is not gender specific in any way, all of us have conflicts. And when we have a conflict, we can choose your way, my way, or God's way, right? And, and so that's why it's very important that when we have a conflict that we don't uh, it, you know, just dig into my point of view and you can get into a mental pattern where you reinforce, you know, I know I'm right, this person hurt me this way, or you know, I did my best here. And, and you can really dig yourself deep into your way of thinking as you travel the very same worn pathways in your mind. Um, better to step out of that and to say, well, can I understand the other person's point of view? And that's as far as perhaps peacemaking in a worldly sense would go, is if you can at least walk a mile in another man's shoes or moccasins or whatever you want to, to, to phrase it. But as believers in Christ, we have an additional resource, a recourse. It's not my way or your way, we all have one Lord, and there so is a uniting, integrating principle that can really uh, uh, resolve on all conflict as we take it to God. It takes sincerity, it takes humility, it takes willingness to acknowledge I might be wrong. And as I come before you, it's difficult. I might be wrong, but when I come before God, I mean, there is no question. I am mistaken, I have an incomplete picture, and God knows better. So as we come, you know, I, I know this even, you know, when we were, you know, some, when my wife and I, you know, are in conflict, if we can pray together, if we can pray together about it, then we're coming before God. And, and there's no, there's no uh, posturing before God. We have to humble ourselves. So, but knowing that sometimes we can be, hurt we can have a hard time seeing things differently Paul doesn't leave it just with those two sisters he appeals to he calls him his true yoke fellow you know it's an interesting wording of how he refers to the brother to whom this letter was written and entrusted to disseminate the someone that that we are together in the yoke pulling the same load we have one goal one mission we share the load and he's saying, if you want to be my, my true yoke fellow, help those women. I love them. I know God has done much with them. God wants to do much with them. But right now, they need help. And it's not easy being a peacemaker. God invokes a special, Jesus invokes special blessing on them in Matthew 5. Because when you become a peacemaker, when you get in between two hurt parties, you're not going to be welcomed by either side. How dare you question my point of view that I am deeply invested in and possibly justify the other side. It takes courage and you've got to love the other person more than you love your own comfort. And so we are called to be peacemakers. Let's have the courage to do that. And now we get to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. 
This morning we heard about thankfulness, and I think that's kind of key here. Paul is saying, remember the context. Paul is in this dark prison cell, chained, restricted. He's got all kinds of passion and purpose, but he's limited to the chains in his room. And he is the one who's telling you to rejoice. Always, in whatever circumstances, there's no qualifier here. And it's repeated. And we can only do that when we're thankful. We've talked about mental health this morning. We've talked about mental health in our prayer. We specifically prayed about that urgent need. Our elder brother has shared how that's not a theoretical thing, that there's such a deep and prevalent need for mental health. We talked about it, you know, in the next week, uh, we have a special topic on it. We talked about uh, Nikki Vujicic's mental health this morning as he was at the point of suicide. And he could not change the fact he had arms, no arms and legs, but he could change his mental health as he chose, instead of focusing on what he didn't have and being angry and bitter, especially if he would compare himself to 99.9999% of the rest of the world, it would seem to be unfair that he would be born without arms and legs. And he would have much reason to resent and to feel um, anger towards being dealt this hand and yet he chose, and if you see Nikki Vujicic, he is one of the most joyful, energetic, in his one little flipper. Uh, young, oh, he's not uh, young anymore, he's a father of four. Uh, he, you can just see the joy radiating from his animated face. And it's a challenge to us who choose to find far more trivial things as an excuse not to rejoice as an excuse not to be thankful. Let your moderation, or other translations would say reasonableness, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. We probably won't have time, but Paul in this passage He's thankful to Philippi that they sent him a gift in prison. And in his preface, as we, as we read, uh, re, would read, he talks about, you know, I, I'm not looking for your stuff. I'm looking for your personal growth. And I'm thankful because you have demonstrated this personal growth to send me things. Not that, not that, not that me having these things changes how happy I am or how positive I feel. I have learned, he said, to both to be abased and I know how to abound. I've, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. You know, this stuff is temporary. And so we read in this verse, in his kind of introductory phrase here, the Lord is at hand is his, is his framing of this thing. We're here for a short time. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, when you look at our society and you see this one world government and, and digital control access of, to, to economics, you see the Lord is at hand. Things are moving very rapidly to what is prophesied here. 
does that affect our uh, investment into stuff we cannot keep? How God may have blessed us with things, and, and, and that, you know, he blessed Abraham with lots of things, but how invested are we? Is it something we freely give and freely, are we content? Because Paul says he knows how to abound. Paul hasn't always been in a prison cell. He said there's been times where I've had more than I need. Do we know how to abound might need more wisdom sometimes than more how to be abased, but it all depends, you know, how, whole, how hard we hold on to the things we cannot keep. And that ties into the next phrase I want us to think about. Be careful for nothing. Verse five, verse six, be careful, or as is also translated, be anxious. Do not be full of care in a spelt out way. Do not be full of worry about things that affect you, but you may not be able to actually control. In fact, that's why you're anxious, because you cannot control it. That's why people are fearful. That's why in today's pandemic, uh, when people's facade of control, when society's facade of control has been exposed. You now we look behind the curtain and there's a little man speaking through a microphone saying, yeah, don't worry, we can control this thing. And we can't. And God is exposing the facade of human control. Now, the choice is yours and ours. Does that make me anxious? The fact that I'm not in control, my company's not in control, my country's not in control, my government's not in control, does that make me anxious? Well, let's finish the verse. But, do not be anxious, but, very importantly, this is your answer to mental health. Do not be anxious for any reason, but in everything by prayer and supplication, by appealing to God with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Do I really trust God? That'll show up by how I respond when I'm out of control. You know, when yesterday I'm stuck in traffic and I'm running out of gas, am I getting upset and hot under the collar? You know, do I, am, am I really content? Am I getting, am I trusting God or I'm worried about people or things I cannot control? Do I really trust? I mean, this final verse here. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, Christ Jesus. Do you think God doesn't have enough to supply your needs? Not just financially. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel God needs to supply people in your life. 
Maybe you feel God needs to supply health in your life. Maybe you feel God needs to supply all kinds, all your need. God has in abundance. His store cannot be exhausted. And he has promised to supply all your need to the degree that he has it. And, and he has no limit. Therefore, we need to cast our care upon him for he cares for us. If I really believe that, that God cares for me, the God who created the universe, as we, we heard this morning, who, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, and I have inherent worth, and he wants me to adopt me as his son. He wants to raise me up to sit with him in heavenly place with Christ Jesus. That's real. He loves me that much. Am I stressed out about this circumstance? It might be big. My life might be at stake. Worse, the life of someone I love might be at stake. I might have to see them suffer, which is harder still. When you think about what it's going to take when, when your ability to eat and buy food is taken away, it's going to be harder watching those you're responsible for go without, and you have a choice to give in. But if I trust the God who has made me, who is coming soon, that he is in control, and I cannot only endure, I cannot only grit my teeth and hang in there, I can rejoice. I can leave this burden that is crushing me at his feet because he never intended me to carry that. He never intended me to agonize about how I was going to fix it. He has promised to provide my need. Do I believe that? Then I have mental health. Then I have peace. Let's read on. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep, protect, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then you will no longer experience anxiety, but peace. The absence of conflict. The absence of insecurity because you feel secure. There may be a storm are surrounding you, but you are under the the, the wing of the bird in the hole in the cliff, and you are secure, despite the, this raging storm. Finally, and we'll make it finally. Verse 8, brethren. We talk about internet filters, talk about filters on our social media. We have lots of editing going on by all kinds of censorship boards. God wants you to censor the source. Finally, my dear brother and sister, whatsoever things, and he's got a list of filters here. If you want mental health, if you want, my dear brother and sister and friend, 
we are in a mental health crisis in this culture, you have the treasure, you have the answer, you have the hope and the reason and the purpose and the joy that they're looking for. But if you don't take the medicine, do you think they're gonna believe you? Do you, are you going to go and, and accept uh, mechanic advice from a guy who can't keep his car running? Are you gonna go to a computer scientist and when, you know, he can't keep his computers running, are you gonna say, come fix mine? Are you gonna go to whatever? You understand, are you gonna believe that that these Christians have the answer to your mental health when they look pretty stressed out and worried themselves? We have the opportunity now to demonstrate to a world that is afraid that there is an answer to their fear by being different, by believing these things and and the weapons of our warfare are spiritual, they're powerful, and they are so powerful, they can bring your thoughts under control. And this is the detailed plan. Do you let into your mind things that are not true? Do you vet the things that come into your mind? Do you accept stuff into your feed that feels good? that supports the things that you want to believe but may not be true? Do you guard against the person who is lying to you? And I'm not talking about the Eastern European troll farms that are pushing stuff in your social media fields. I am talking about the father of lies who speaks of his own and who's lying to you about you. Do you believe it when he says that you are a failure? Do you believe him when he says that you cannot succeed, that you are a mistake? Do you believe the labels that he wants to stick when he's lying to you? Yeah, I was talking about social media. The whistleblower said that, you know, um, you know Facebook's own uh, um, studies show that young women are being negatively affected by their posts on Instagram because they're comparing against the impossible because they're believing that unless I measure up, I am not worthy or acceptable. And, and Satan's got all kinds of lies he wants you to believe and it's not true. We need to go to the truth as we scan. Not the, 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 the thoughts that you're entering your head. Are they true? Are they honest? What, what was their difference? Something can be true and deceptive at the same time. As I've said many times, I remember trying to deceive my mother by telling her the truth, but part of the truth and being selective about what I said and what I didn't say. Do we only allow part of the truth in? Do we edit? Do we allow this, once I 
Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, that's a big one. There's a lot that's acceptable that goes across our mental screens that we would not, at the end of the day, thank God to have thought those thoughts. They're not pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Whatsoever things are lovely, whoa, something might be true, and, but it's not positive and lovely and beautiful, especially what we think about ourselves and other people. Is it a good report? Is it an edifying report? Is it something that's going to build up? Is there, is there some value and virtue? Is it something that is going to lift up or tear down? These are the filters we need to put on our thoughts. And if we were to control our thoughts, all else flows from that. We heard this morning, it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of his heart. And that's being manifested in our thoughts. And therefore... This is critical, this, this helmet, this peace of God, this thing that keeps your hearts and minds is critical at this time in histories. We have the answer, brother and sister and friend. Those things which you have both learned, received and heard and seen me do and the God of peace shall be with you. What an encouragement. If we choose to be thankful, we will be in contrast and everyone will want what God has given us. We have a rich chapter and I we weren't able to read through it. I encourage you to complete the, the chapter. It is very, very rich and encouraging. And we have heard how we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors. We have what this world seeks. We only need to believe it, apply it, and let the truth of God shine through our lives, the peace of God that passes understanding because this world does not have what we have. May we not only know these things, not only memorize the verses, not only be familiar with them, but let's let them sink into our hearts and shape our mental habits in our daily attitudes. May God be glorified. With that, we commit, would, uh, commit, commit everyone to the Lord's service. Mm-hmm.